0: Thank you, Sally. Um, so my name is Nico, and strangely, I'm your new vicar. It's such a strange thing to say. Um, a few people have been asking me what happened with my hand, and I'm going to give two answers to that. One is, it's not because I want to look like Michael Jackson. And probably three people remember how Michael Jackson used to do his uh, stuff. And secondly, I'm just going to say, the other guy is in St. George's Hospital. <laughs> um, so um, I follow... Uh, on on social media, uh, this thing called Very British Problems. Does anyone know this? Has anyone ever seen it? It's four of us, more or less, five. It's really, really good. It's worth your time. It gives you you a smile every day. Um, And the guy who writes it does little quotes like this. And he says, when you ask for just a small slice of cake, and then they really do actually give you just a small slice of cake. Um, And then he, like, these are all from the last few days. He says, statements and questions that are never a good sign. We need to talk. I don't mean to worry you. I've been thinking. The the ceiling looks wet. I hate that. Stay extremely still. (laughs) Was it always like this? I've got a bone to pick with you. What's that buzzing? Honestly, I'm fine. And it's always quite funny, but last week I found this, and it or sometime last week, and it says, Comforting a Crying Person by Staring at the Floor and Waiting for Him to Stop, which is quite funny, but actually it connects quite well with our theme for today. Today we're looking at compassion, and hopefully after what we look at today, when we see someone crying, we'll just look at the floor and wait uh, for them to stop crying. And whenever we talk about compassion, we have to remember that someone has had compassion for us. And um, I want to share a quote by J.A. Packer. He's a great, great theologian. He died two years ago. And strangely, he was part of my diocese in Argentina, even though he uh, was living in Canada. Um, Great, great theologian. And he says this, there is a tremendous relief in knowing that his love to me is based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst of me, compassion. There is tremendous relief in knowing that God's love for you is based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst of you. God has compassion on you. He always has compassion on you. He loves you all the time, knowing the worst of you and the worst you've done and the worst you will do. And he always has compassion on you. And today we're going to look uh, quickly at the book of Colossians. Um, Colossians has four chapters and... It's literally all there. I'm not expecting you to be able to see that, but those are the four chapters in Colossians. And if you look at it kind of very quickly as an overview, basically what Paul is doing is he's doing three things. He starts by sharing about how amazing God is and how amazing his grace is. And then the red bit, chapter 2, is a bad news. He's kind of telling them off a bit. And then the, the yellow bit is his response to, okay, God's grace is this. You're doing this wrong. This is what we should do. This is who we should be. Um, And I think it's kind of, its probably gone through communication training. They always say whenever you have to give bad news, start by kind of giving them a bit of sweet, buttering buttering them up a bit, and then go to bad news. Um, But actually, the first chapter of Colossians is amazing. And and we're just going to look at a few verses here, just because I love that chapter. And I could kind of preach every week just on these verses we're going to read. But the, the thing he's complaining about or telling them look guys you're getting it wrong is three things he says uh, you're mature christians which is great but you've been following human traditions and philosophical ideas that actually aren't part of what god wants for you secondly you're adding laws to god's law so you're making people do things that actually god never said they should do And thirdly, some of you have kind of mystical excesses and you're worshipping angels. And he's actually tackling three of the big issues that if you look at it sort of across the church history have been cropping up all the time. And therefore he says, look, let's realise who Jesus is and this is what I want you to do. So let's look at a few verses in chapter one. And honestly, these verses are so good. It says, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, where thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. That's the Jesus we follow. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So what he's saying is, this is the Jesus you follow. This is the amazing Jesus you follow. He's created everything. He holds everything in his hands. Everything was created for him and through him. This is the Jesus who we follow. This is the Jesus who has compassion on us. And he talks a bit more in that chapter about God's grace and how he loves us and how he calls us to be be close to him. But then, in, if we go back to the kind of the three the, the three colours, in the in the in chapter three he talks about well, what does that mean for us? How does that affect us in our daily living? And in Colossians three verses one and two, he says, "Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above." not on earthly things. Because of God's compassion, because of his love for you, you look up. And then he says, in a very practical way, this is what it means to look up. This is what it means to follow Jesus. And he says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. I love this. Put on every day. Like, say when you wake up, this is what I'm going to put on. I'm going to dress myself with these things. And please put on clothes as well. But... He says, close yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility, gentleness and patience. Isn't it lovely to walk amongst, live amongst people who choose to close themselves every day with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message, it's amazing, it's got so much in it, doesn't it? Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another, and with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, sing to God with gratitude in your hearts, and whatever you do, I love this. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. And it's an amazing passion, passage. It talks about how we are to live in response to God's grace, how we are to live in response to God's compassion. And we have compassion because God was compassionate to us. And the first thing it says is close yourself with compassion. And... That word for compassion is this word in Greek, and I'm not expecting you to know how to read it. It's actually spelled s- splagenisomai. You can, I'll test you tomorrow and see if you can remember. Splagenisomai, uh, which means kind of a movement in your bowels, movement in your innermost being from the inside. It's kind of something that's so inside of you, so, so kind of big in you that you have to react. It's something that's moving you so much that you have to do something about it. It's kind of this movement. And I like like the uh, one translation, it's the bowels yearn. It's something, a yearning that's really deep in you. And that's compassion. You're moved by what's happening inside of you. And that's what the Greek word compassion is. It's something really powerful. Um, And and actually, there's been a, a lot of talk about what compassion is. and um, and sort of some psychologists now talk about sympathy, empathy, and compassion. I don't know if you've heard kind of the difference between the three, but they, they tend to say that sympathy means you understand how a person is feeling. Empathy means you feel what that person is feeling, and compassion is an urge, a willingness to do something about it. It's saying, I feel, I understand, but I'm going to do something about it. It's explained sometimes as if someone's in a pit. I don't know if anyone's heard this explanation, but imagine someone's in a pit, and having empathy is walking by and saying, oh, that person's really, really hurt. Just going into a really bad situation. Having sympathy is saying, okay, I'm going to jump in, and I'm going to feel with you, and I'm going to cry with you. And compassion is saying... Oh, I see you're hurting, I'm going to go and fetch a ladder, grab a ladder, come in, come down, and help you out. That's the difference between empathy, sympathy, and compassion. And this is what um, Paul is talking about. Clothe yourself with compassion, with a real willingness, a yearning to help others in difficult situations. And, and that doesn't mean that you always have to solve people, people's problems. Sometimes showing up is having compassion. Sometimes what people need is just for you to show up and understand what they're going through. I'm sure if you are bereaved or you're going through something really difficult, you don't want someone to come and tell you, I know exactly how to solve your problems. Come on, get up, let's go have a cup of coffee and have fun. It's like, no, I've just lost someone I love. I I don't need that. Compassion is just sitting next to them and helping them in that moment. So that's what compassion is. And I I love this quote that says, if we should cease to be generous and charitable because another is sordid and ungrateful... It would be much in the power of vice to extinguish Christian virtues. And I love it because we are compassionate all the time regardless of other people's responses. Sometimes we feel, I'm going to give, but only if people are grateful, only if kind of in response people say a massive thank you. And actually, I love this quote because it says, we we want to give and we want to love and we want to be compassionate regardless of what we receive in return, regardless of what other people might say. And um, I remember some, some years ago, um, and this is now way back. So I was 18, now this is like 22 years ago. Um, and uh, I just finished school, and I was in my first year at university. And in Argentina, when uh, most people, when you study, you, you still live in, in your house. Uh, with your parents, and because the, all the universities are quite close by, and you still see your school friends. Like my school friends, I still go back to Argentina and, and I see them, and they meet every week. It's quite a, a kind of different way of, of living, and. Um, and what happened was when we were 18, one of my best school friends used to play rugby with me. I'd see him all the time. Uh, he died in a car crash. And it was such, when you're, you know, when you're 18, your friends are like your family, in a way, nearly sometimes like your God. They're so important to you. And um, it was probably the hardest thing I went through. And I remember um, we, we had sort of two days later an event where people came out and, Uh, We were kind of, with my friends, we were kind of sobbing, really, really moved, and... um and there's one teacher who came round who had been a monk, actually, and he was our physics teacher. And this was like physics A-level, so it's, it's probably the easiest class to manage. Of all your classes, physics A-level is the easiest. And still it was still chaos, so it's quite a bad teacher. Um, and he, he didn't teach very well. He could manage us very well, even though we are like the, the probably easiest class to have. Um, but he, he did talk to us when when we were in, in in the class about how he had left his job because he was kind of forced to accept some money that was not rightful and he said no I, I can't do this and they kind of fired him because of that and he ended up uh, teaching um, at school with us and, and I remember I was a bit struck by that kind of his integrity and even though he was a really bad teacher he was uh, kind of full of integrity and and then when in that moment, when when we all he he just appeared, he was there, and I remember giving him a hug and just crying with him, and just thinking, like he showed up. And that's compassion. He showed up when we were all hurting. This was like six months after we'd finished school. He had no reason to show up, but he showed up, and that made a world of difference. And I think that's compassion, isn't it? It's just being able to show up, just to feel, see the need, feel, and say, I don't know what I can do about it, but I'll show up. I'll be there for these people. And um, our passage today talks about a lot about how we can clothe ourselves, but what does it mean to kind of build ourselves for compassion? And it touches on quite a few things which I don't want to... Uh, look at in detail, but it's, it's all the classic things. It talks about being enriched by God's words. It talks about singing together in verse 16. It talks about giving thanks. It talks about forgiving and being forgiven. It's, it talks about all your classic kind of uh, things that feed us. Uh, and, and that's what uh, clothing ourselves means. We feed our souls to be able to be compassionate. We feed ourselves to be able to have a heart like God's heart and to be able to react to what other people are going through. And um, if, if you've been a Christian for a while, you, you know it, exactly sort of what it means to feed yourself and how you can feed yourself and what are the spiritual disciplines and what are the things you can do. Um, and um, the, there's a, an author who I love, he's called John Mark Comer, and he, he actually talks about this, and he says, well, actually, our main problem is not that we don't know what to do, it's actually that we don't do it. Um, and it speaks very strongly to me, because I know exactly what I should do to feed my spiritual life, and I don't always do it. And he says this, and just grab this quote, it's so good. He says, it's a war on lies, and the problem is less that we tell lies and more that we live them. We let false narratives about reality into our bodies and they wreak havoc in our souls. So it's not that we tell lies, it's not even that we believe lies, it's that we live them. It's that we, we let them kind of shape our way of living. We let them shape our decision making, our prioritizing and, and therefore we need to be quite intentional to change that and to actually say, I'm going to shape my life, not depending on what the kind of world throws at me, but actually be more intentional about who do I want to be, who do I want to become, and how do I do that. Um, and, I, and I think uh, a lot of the time our lives are a bit like this. There's just a mess of stuff around, and people just, other people putting stuff around us, we putting stuff around, and we just are so full that we have no space for God to change us, we don't have no fa- space for God to transform us, we have no space to actually love our neighbor. If you look at the story of the Good Samaritan, what's the only difference between the Good Samaritan and the other two people who are walking by is that he had space. The other two were too busy, too into what they had to do, too full of things, that they had, they had no space um, to stop and help him out. And I remember, um, and this came from, from my previous bishop in Argentina, and he, he got some, some of our clergy around and he said, I want to speak to you and I want to see who can do this because I know you're busy and I, I want to, because you're busy, I want to kind of see who of you can do a task. And he was kind of saying being busy is the thing to do. Like, if, if you're a good Christian or if, if you're mature, if, if you're doing stuff, then you're busy. If you're doing the God stuff well, then your life should be very busy. And at the moment, I, I was a bit proud. like, Oh, he invited me, and therefore I'm, I'm in, the, in the group of the people he thinks could do this. But actually, when I reflect back, it's like, why are we celebrating busyness? Why is he celebrating us having full, so, such full lives that we have no margins and actually trying to add something else to, to that? Um, why is that what we celebrate when actually what Jesus is inviting us to do is very different? What Colossians is inviting us to do is very different. It's not adding to our busyness, but actually shaping our lives so that we can be full of him and therefore our heart will beat as his heart and we love what he loves. And we'll have compassion, because he has compassion. So, going back to a a bit of what I've been sharing, um, this is just kind of looking at a few things that I shared. First is, we have compassion because we respond to God's grace. It's because God has grace on us that we receive grace and we give grace. That's what compassion is all about. Uh, But we need some space we need to find space in our lives to have compassion on others. We need space for God, for God to change us. And, and lastly, it all, it's, it all comes down to the heart. It all comes down to our souls. It all comes down to who we are and are we letting God shape us. And one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Ezekiel thirty six twenty six, And this is what God promises. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I love that promise. And I grab that promise quite often because I very quickly and it might be just me, but I very quickly become a bit indifferent. I very quickly kind of shield my heart and my emotions and just become indifferent to the world around me. Uh, and I become indifferent to God. I become indifferent to God's calling. I become indifferent to the people in need around me. I'm just so self, kind of self-centered that um, my heart just becomes like a bit of a stone. And then I read this, and I, and I come to God and I say, no, God, you promised me a heart of flesh. You promised to give me a new spirit. You promised to make something different through me. And that's who I want to be. I don't want to kind of shield myself and kind of, keep my heart in this hard place where nobody come in. I actually choose to have a heart of flesh that's vulnerable. When we go out in compassion, we become vulnerable. But actually, it's so life-giving. It's the life that's abundant life when we let God shape our heart, shape our spirits to become more like him. And um, a a friend of mine who... um, she, she's just amazing and she we did quite a bit of mission work together when we when we were growing up and um, she then worked in a school and through that school she was kind of in charge of what they called the kind of social action so go and and visit orphanages and different things and that kind of really stirred her heart and she realized that uh, God was maybe calling her to be get more involved with that and ultimately she ended up being the director of an orphanage and um, this is an orphanage in Argentina so an orphanage in Argentina is where the kids that have the worst situation in kind of at all end up because they either have abusive parents or addicted parents and the parents can't look after them uh, and they end up in, in this place and they tend to be kind of horrible places where a lot of bad stuff happens and she felt called to, to join um, one of these places, and, and she was invited to be the director, and um, as she arrived, um, she, she, she did a lot of great things, she brought a lot of Christians into to that place, and, and there was a big change, um, and uh, you'll probably hear more stories in, in her sermons, but one of the, the things that kind of was really powerful was that she came in and she was told in her first week that we need to bring two, two new kids into the orphanage. And these are kids who had been in another orphanage for three years and they kind of settled there and they had to move because um, one of the abusive parents was going into the orphanage all the time and trying to kind of take them away. And so, so the, they decided instead of saying, okay, we're going to send the parents to prison, we're going to move them which is quite unfair if you think of a seven-year-old who's been the last three years in a place, and they just moved him around. And they were moving a little boy, and um, he was the only boy going into an orphanage which had around uh, 15 to 20 girls. So it was a strange thing for him to come in. Seven years old, last three years, he had been um, in, in an orphanage quite lost. And as he came in, she asked him, so um, he's called Raphael, and uh, we called Raphael's Rafa. And he said, like, Rafa, what, what, do you, what do you like? And he said, I like Spider-Man, classic seven-year-old. He said, I love Spider-Man. Uh, and she said, okay, I'm going to try and find you something uh, related, well, she didn't say, but she thought in her head, I'm going to find something related to uh, Spider-Man. So she went back to her parents' house. Uh, they have a, a big garage and she had, because she'd been helping orphanages, she just had a load of, of toys and costumes and different things. So she started looking at um, uh, at, at the different things and she found a Spider-Man costume and she was really happy so she took Spider-Man costume and a few other presents to his to kid it was his first week really happy and she, um, so she said look Rafa we, we got this new um, this costume for you and he was delighted and when they, when, they, um, when they gave it to him they opened it up and they realised it had a name tag on on the Spider-Man thing and it said Raphael and she was like, what's happening here? How can it say Raphael? They kind of they, they had no idea how it ended up there. It might have been a donation. but And then she told him, look, Raphael, God is telling you that you're special, that he loves you, and he knows you by name. And you're Raphael, and this is for you. And that kid was delighted. And he, he's telling all, everyone, look, God knows me by name, and he loves me. And he... he um, He's given me this costume. And this is Raphael now a few years later. He's nice and happy, still with his his, um, Spider-Man costume. And this is actually in her parents' house. So she takes him over when it's his birthday and and does a whole party for him. But what I find amazing is that when we put ourselves out there, when we say, God, I'm going to be compassionate, I'm going to do what you do, then God shows his compassion through you. God backs you up. God has your back. If you say, God, I'm going to go and be compassionate. Please change me. Let me be whatever you want me to be. He will always back you. He'll come with you. He'll do the work he wants to do. Because at the end of the day, he is much more compassionate than we are. And he is much more interested in blessing the Rafas of this world and the people who... Who we know who are around us. He is much more interested than us in loving them and making them know that they're known by name, that they're valuable, and that they're loved. And he chooses to do it through us. So, what a privilege to be able to share God's compassion with other people. But at the end of the day, it all falls down to where's our heart? Do we want to let God change us? Do we want to let God give us a heart of flesh? Do we want to let His Spirit dwell and live in us? And that's our call. Our call is to say, God, here I am. You are compassionate. I want to be compassionate as you are. Come and change me. So I'm going to invite us just to, um, where we are, maybe stand and just say, God, here I am. Change me. Give me a heart of flesh. Fill me with your compassion so that I can love as you love. God, you are the God of love, the God of grace, the God of compassion. And you love the people around us as much as you love us. You love the people in need. You love those who are suffering. You love those who need our compassion. And here we offer ourselves to you. We pray that you change our hardened hearts and give us a heart of flesh. We pray that you'd change our indifference and give us compassion. Lord, we want to be your people for this time and this place. So fill us with your compassion. Fill us with your spirit. Give us a new spirit. And Lord, as we go out and love others, we pray that you would do your work, that you would go before us and that you'd be touching people's lives. Lord, we pray that you'd breathe your spirit on us and change us. Amen.